Letitia, and this is Series 3 of the New Leaf Podcast, created for new and working mums everywhere. New Leaf interviews working women from a variety of industries to share their journeys of what happened to them after having babies, exploring the often huge professional and personal identity shifts that happen when we create the next generation. Our jobs are a really big part of who we are, and we don't stop being who we always were just because we've had a baby. There is such big pressure to be the perfect mummy when actually she doesn't exist and return to the perfect career when actually that doesn't really exist either. We are all muddling through and figuring it out. By sharing these amazing women's stories, I want to prove to you that motherhood is truly a rebirth in ways we never expect. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at New Leaf Podcast if you want to continue the conversation with the hashtag MyMotherhoodMyChoice. Before we get going though, I've got something special and free lined up for you. Click the episode details to subscribe to New Leaf Nutshell, my exclusive fortnightly summary write-up of these episodes with judgment-free motherhood tips and tricks, general musings and interesting articles about all things women straight to your phone doing all the googling so you don't have to. Okay, let's go. Elizabeth Christmas Hutton, CEO of the charity Kicks Count, joins me on Series 3, Episode 4 of the New Leaf Podcast. Kicks Count is a British charity with big ambitions to reduce the UK's stillbirth and neonatal death rate by raising awareness of baby movements and empowering ladies with knowledge and confidence. The UK has one of the highest rates of stillbirth in Europe, and you may be shocked to hear that you are 10 times more likely to experience a stillbirth than a cot death, now referred to as SIDS. There isn't one single cause of stillbirth. However, a decrease in baby movements has been shown as a reliable warning that something may be wrong. Half of mums who had a stillbirth noticed their baby movements slowing down beforehand. Half. Stillbirth is still a highly taboo subject. We aren't very good in our society at talking about death, let alone baby death. I want to be straight up with you and admit that I felt really nervous before getting on a call with Elizabeth. This is not exactly a topic of conversation that comes up regularly when you think of pregnancy and birth. Knowing in advance that her story was so tragic made it hard to face, and I knew it would be hard to hear. Hearing it, However, is not living it, and what Elizabeth went through could only be described as a waking nightmare. However, her cause is so, so important, and her story is so powerful and so positive in the end that I knew it had to be shared. I was very, very nearly one of the unlucky ones. During my first pregnancy, my baby movements reduced at 38 weeks, and despite a scan just days earlier showing that everything was fine, I had a niggling feeling that just wouldn't go away. I thought of the large kicks count posters in my South London hospital and went in. Honestly, I expected to be sent home and I didn't even take a hospital bag, only to have my little boy born that day via an emergency C-section after a very abnormal heartbeat pattern whilst being monitored, followed by several instances of it plummeting. Unknown to me at the time, I developed very late onset preeclampsia, And as a result, my son had developed a 1 in 50,000 chance of a life-threatening blood sugar condition that required nearly five weeks of intensive care, followed by six months of round-the-clock nursing. If I hadn't noticed a change in my movement pattern or had gone in, 
I was told that you would have died at full term. I have Elizabeth, this charity, and her son Toby to thank for saving his life. Elizabeth's son Toby was born sleeping at 20 weeks. The pain and the devastation of this loss is quite simply unimaginable for anybody who hasn't been through it. She was so incredibly brave to share the story of what happened to her on this episode. She is also a breast cancer survivor, having had a double mastectomy and her ovaries removed, all whilst running this incredible charity. Her ambitions know no limits, and to say I was a bit starstruck having met one of my heroes is an understatement. When I reflected many times after B was born, I thought about those posters. I googled them, expecting them to be some clever government initiative, and they were not. This was a small charity at the forefront of this incredibly important movement, fighting for a place in hospitals and maternity units all over the country. Looking them up, I was especially shocked to learn after my own experience that around a third of stillbirths happen after 37 weeks, when your baby is deemed full term and most people, myself included, feel pretty in the clear. There is a common misconception that stillbirths only happen in high-risk pregnancies or where there is a known problem. I was neither of these. I cannot stress enough how important it is to dispel the myths that we've all heard that babies run out of space to move, that you should drink cold water to get them moving, or eat a load of sugar. If your baby's movements change, go and get checked. Ask your pregnant friends and buy them a kicks count wristband that helps them to monitor the movements. A nationwide campaign in Norway to raise awareness of baby movements reduced the instances of stillbirth by a whopping 50%. These tiny, tiny actions may save a baby's life. I will pop the link to buy a wristband in the episode details. This episode is dedicated to Toby. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hi, thank you for having me. (laughs) You're so welcome. Where are you in the world right now? I'm in Surrey and I can see the trees from my back garden. Oh, lovely. Surrey is just the nicest bit of the world. It it is lovely and it's sunny today which makes a big difference. And have you always been based there? Yes since I've been doing Kicks Count it's always working from home so yes but at various rooms in the house. So I was going to say do you have an office or is just the the home? I'm just setting up an office at the moment so previously it's been my dining table and I'm now just setting up a little box room that I'm trying to change into an office so that I've got a dedicated workspace. And I mean, I'm amazed because obviously Kicks Count's been going for quite a while now. Mm. To think that you're only just getting an office, you must be so busy. <laughs> there must be Kicks Count stuff all over the house. My house and my dad's house is completely taken over by Kicks Count. So the garage is basically all Kicks Count. And um, yeah, it was getting a bit chaotic because the lounge is actually painted in Kicks Count colours so that it doesn't looks so weird when there's kicks count stuff everywhere (laughs) wait hang on you matched your lounge to your company yes (laughs) oh my god that's amazing leaflets are always lying around everything i thought we may as well all tie together so yeah the lounge any like amazon delivery people must look in and be like wow i'm definitely in an advert right now (laughs) luckily they can't see through to the lounge they can only see the kitchen which isn't kicks count so Okay, okay. I love it. Okay, so tell me about your immediate family unit. Who's Uh, in it? So my immediate family unit is my two children, Emily and Joshua, and my dog, Bella. 
Oh, I don't even know where to begin with this because for anybody who's listening, especially if you're based in London and the South East, you will have heard of Kicks Count just from seeing posters and things all over the hospitals and also just from me banging on about it since I started New Leaf a couple of years ago. And I'm very grateful to Elizabeth because it's her posters that saved my little boy who's now two and a half. It saved his life. So I'm so, so grateful to you. And it's just such a privilege to have Mm. you on the show. But um, I know that you'll feel like you'll have told the story a hundred times, but I do know that there are still people who don't know anything about Kicks Count. So I guess, tell me what you did pre-baby. I did a mixture of things pre-baby. When I uh, finished university, I started working in childcare. So I was working in nurseries and things like that. And I wanted to get out of a job that I was in. And I just applied to kind of any jobs that were going, one of which was an admin assistant for Surrey Police. And I got that job. So I thought, well, I'll go there until I kind of can find what I really want to do. And I loved it so much that I just stayed there for seven years. God, seven years. Yeah. And that was the only reason I left there was because of having the children and moving on to Kicks Count. I absolutely loved the job I went to. Yeah. So that must have been quite exciting. So interesting. Yeah. And I think that's what made it. It was such an interesting job. And it just was so varied as well. It wasn't the same thing every day. It was so different. And the people were amazing. So it was so much fun to go to work. So you then said, obviously, that all changed and you had been really enjoying it. But then yes, life happened. So what went on? Well, I had my first daughter, Emily, and obviously went on maternity leave and went back and they were really supportive, flexible working, all this. I think I went down to three days a week and still loved it. And then I got pregnant again with my second child and sadly he was born sleeping. So I lost him halfway through the pregnancy and it just changed everything really because although I loved the job, I felt there was something else I needed to do. It was such a life-changing experience losing Toby that I knew I had to do something about stillbirth and kind of my whole focus shifted. And yeah, it my heart wasn't then really in admin anymore. I was driven to do something else. And I did go on to have my third baby, so Joshua, and I was still working for the police then. And then when I was on maternity leave with Joshua, I decided to put my efforts into changing the career and doing things for prevention of stillbirth. I can't even imagine what it must have been like to go through the excitement of being pregnant. It's your second pregnancy, maybe a bit less worried, Mm. know what to expect a bit more. I'm putting words in your mouth. Is this how you felt? When I had my daughter initially, I'd, I'd had several miscarriages before her. I'd got to the 12 week mark with her and thought, okay, that's fine. I still don't feel completely safe, but you know, this is the furthest I've got. And I felt quite positive and I was so looking forward to having a baby and then her birth was quite um traumatic and I had postnatal depression after she was born and the whole experience was completely different to what I had envisaged and then I had this image in my head of what having a baby was going to be like and especially with each miscarriage I think my view of motherhood became more and more rose tinted and you know what I was missing out on was perfect and 
So I was expecting this baby to be absolutely the most joyful experience of my life. And she would just sit and kind of goo goo da 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 da, wouldn't it be lovely? And then it wasn't like that at all. And so I suffered quite badly with postnatal depression and the whole experience. So then when I got pregnant again, I looked up all of the statistics and things because obviously I had a history of miscarriages. And it said, oh, if you've had a live birth, that kind of counteracts the miscarriages that you're not going to be at a higher risk anymore. And my Mm -hmm. risk was now the same as everyone else's. I wasn't at that increased risk because I'd had previous miscarriages. So I felt a lot more comfortable with the second pregnancy. And I, I knew what was coming. So I didn't have this rose tinted view of what motherhood was going to be like. I had a realistic view of what motherhood was going to be like. And I, everything just seemed to be going more smoothly and it just felt right. So then when things started to not be quite right, it was such a shock. And uh, well, I don't think you can explain it to somebody who hasn't lost a baby that the the feeling it just feels like the whole world comes out from under you you just don't you just don't know where you are you don't know what's happening and it was just so traumatic I think is the the only way to describe it it's so difficult isn't it because again I think I don't know what the landscape was like around stillbirth at the time. So what year was this? This was 2010. So this is actually quite a long time ago now. Yeah, it was. And I mean, there was Facebook at the time and I think Instagram, but Instagram wasn't really the space that it is now. And social media has had a huge contribution to birth awareness generally and also just pregnancy awareness. So what resources existed at that time? The resources were there, but you didn't necessarily know they were there. Like I think that's the great thing about social media now is you can make people aware of what is out there for them. And I found one forum site in America that I just went on, and that was where I found other people who were going through the same thing. And it was very helpful, but it was only one outlet for me, really. And I, I just wanted to find other people who knew what you were going through. And I say... Unfortunately, fortunately, I did have a friend who had a stillbirth a few years before and I could contact her. And the first thing I said to her was, I'm so sorry, I didn't realise how awful this was for you when you were going through it. And it, it was so nice to have somebody there who could understand and we could talk and we could kind of help each other. But obviously, I didn't want her to have had that experience in order to have helped me. But then I think, well, who was there for you when you had yours? And it just kind of passes Mm -hmm. down almost that you need this group of people around you who is sharing your experience. I'm so sorry for your friend as well. And I mean, just the scale of emotion that Mm. you both must then have been feeling, not only to know that there's somebody else that's been through the same thing, but of course, just the loss of your babies. It's just so, so hard. Mm. So what actually happened and how did you know that all was not well with Toby? We'd actually gone on holiday and we'd gone up to the Lake District and I was feeling I was going, oh, there's something not quite right. The, The baby's not moving or not moving as much. And we'd been out for a meal. And so we said, oh, maybe it's just the dodgy lasagna that's making me feel a bit funny. 
And I said, no, something's not right. So we went to the hospital, but the nearest hospital was over an hour away because we were up in the Lake District and the nearest hospital, I think, was Lancaster. So we went down there and it was, I think it must have been a Sunday and the scanning bit was closed. So they kind of said, oh, we'll check, we'll get up a mobile scanner for you. So they kind of got this mobile scanning unit that they brought up to check on the baby and it was such a grainy image it wasn't like the scanners that you get in the wards or you know when you go for an actual scan it wasn't that quality it was just really low and they said oh we can't see well enough you're going to have to come back when the scanning department's open but I could just see he wasn't moving on the scan and I think they knew as well but obviously weren't confident enough to tell me so could they hear a heartbeat no they couldn't find the heartbeat but they didn't put as much onus on that because they said you know there's lots of reasons for that but we need to do a proper Mm. check of the baby and so we had to go home and then go back again the next day when the scanning department was open surely you didn't sleep at all no Mm. I didn't sleep it was a weird night because I had my daughter there and we were with friends so they were kind of looking after Mm. Emily and I was just laying there going well what time can we go back what time can we go back and they'd said to phone up in the morning at about 11 o'clock and I thought I can't wait till 11 o'clock to to go back in so I said well we'll just go and kind of wait outside the hospital because it's still an hour away as well so I thought well if we're there at least when I phone up and they say come in I can be in in five minutes so we did we went drove back down the hour drive and went in and they just did the scan and then she kind of turned the screen away from me and she said I'm gonna have to go and get somebody else and I just looked at my husband and I said this this isn't good you know usually when you go on they go oh yep there it is right I'm just gonna check this I'm just gonna check that and so she got somebody else in who just kind of said yep confirm or something and left and then she just said I'm really sorry but your baby's died and I just I think I just wailed is probably the only word I can use I just like I didn't really know what I was doing I didn't know what I wasn't crying I wasn't screaming but I was just making this wailing sound really and she said oh I'll I'll leave you to in here for a moment so she kind of left and it was just us two in this scanning room and you know I said can can I get some pictures to take so she did she took uh, some of the kind of screenshot or images mm-hmm. for us to keep and then it was a case of okay now we've got to talk about birth we've got to talk about delivering and I just remember everything kind of going over my head going I'm on holiday I'm I'm in a like a strange place I'm not in my I'm not not near anyone I'm not near my family I'm not near my friends so I said look I'm gonna have to go back down to Guildford I want to to do this in in Guildford and my daughter to have family and friends to come around and look after her rather than being in this strange house somewhere so they said well you can go back but if you start having contractions on the way home, you're going to have to stop at your nearest hospital, wherever you are. Mm. And so then I was weighing up, well, is it better to stay somewhere where I know we've got a house or risk driving? Because it's a four and a half hour drive. I thought if we get two hours into the drive and then 
I need to stop somewhere even more random that we don't even have anywhere to stay. But I ended up saying, you know, we've, we've got to try, we've got to try and get back. And we did, we made it back to Guildford. And just as we were probably about 20 minutes away, I started to get pains and contractions. So we just went straight to the hospital. Um, and yeah, and they actually said, it's not full labour yet. You can go home and come back. And so I had to go home again and then go back a couple of days later for them to induce me. And yeah, it was just, it, Horrendous. It was, yeah, it was, and it was surreal. So when I went back, it was in the middle of the night, and my waters were broken. And I went, "Oh my god!" So we had to rush. We had to take Emily out of bed, put her in the car, drive to the hospital. My husband had to stay in the car with Emily while I went up to the labour ward, and they said, "Oh my gosh, the baby's coming!" And I said, "But my husband's not here. I can't do it on my own. He's down." in the car waiting for his mum to come and pick up Emily. So one of the midwives said, okay, I'll go down and wait with your daughter so your husband can come back up. And they actually passed each other in the lift on the way down. So he ended up making it up in time. But it was things like that were really memorable. I think the care that I got, these midwives were doing everything to make this a least painful experience as it could have been, I guess. So much to unpick from what you're saying. I mean, And you'll have to forgive my ignorance, but I wonder if listeners are thinking the same thing. They had said to you, look, if you start having contractions, is that what often happens with an unwell baby or a stillbirth where they know that the body will start naturally trying to give birth? And that was something that they knew that would be a risk because obviously at 20 weeks, you don't expect to go into premature labor. So why is it that happened? I think you do go into labour and I think it's one of those things that once the placenta has stopped, but I honestly don't know. I just know that Mm. it was something that they told me to look out for. To have been in your home hospital must have made a big difference. It did. It made a big difference and it was also the hospital that I'd had Emily at. So I felt comfortable there and it wasn't as good then as it is now, but they did have a separate room for me so that I wasn't on the labour ward. It was like its own private room that was slightly away. They now have a room that's even further away, but it did mean that you couldn't necessarily hear as many babies crying and things like that. But it was was still in the delivery suite. So when it did come time to leave, you're having to leave empty-handed. And Mm -hmm. there's people out there walking up and down the corridor trying to get their babies to sleep. It was just awful. And it was one of the things that I think is really important in hospitals is to have somewhere separate for women who are delivering a stillborn baby is somewhere where it's completely separate and they Mm -hmm. can leave without having to walk through the delivery suite they kind of everything can be separate I think that's so important it's traumatic enough without kind of having that added salt in the wounds And how aware or not aware was Emily of everything that was happening? She knew that I wasn't well and she knew that we were supposed to be having a baby and then we weren't and then I got pregnant again so then it was, okay, now we are having a baby. So it was Mm. quite a strange one but I think fortunately she was young enough that Mm. it didn't affect her too much. It must be strange though. So obviously I've just had my second and explaining to my oldest son this is where babies come from etc etc and it's quite abstract so 
to then have to have those very grown up conversations around basically death and mm. explain that something was going to happen is now not going to happen. And I mean, Emily's much older now, but did there come a stage where she did start asking about that? She didn't at the time, no. So that side of things, fortunately, wasn't made harder. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine that would be and really difficult. Really difficult. And 20 weeks as well. I mean, that's such a milestone for people in so many ways, but mm. specifically because 20 weeks is usually when you have the physical abnormality scan, but most people see it as that's when you know the gender yeah. and it can feel so much more real that you're going to have a baby. And also people often see 20 weeks and because of that special scan as they're like, oh, okay, well, we were still a bit cautious after the 12 weeks, but 20 weeks, oh, now, you know, we're good mm. to go. Everything's fine. So how did you cope? just managing other people's responses because I'm sure that the people around you that knew you were pregnant must have just been like incredulous just thinking how did this happen yeah it was quite strange actually trying to tell people and you know because I'd not had Facebook very long so I put it all over Facebook and yeah and then I didn't really want to then do a Facebook announcement about it so I just kind of deleted everything off my Facebook and in hindsight, I really wish I hadn't because I kind of wish I'd set it, you know, change the settings to set it as so that only I could see it or something. Because I do now further down the line, I wish I still had those memories on there. And obviously, I've still got the scan pictures and I've still got various things, but I would have loved to have still had that kind of documentation of that pregnancy. I mean, it's always easier in hindsight, isn't it? But I would have liked to have kept it on there but yeah people don't know what to say and I think the human instinct is to try and make it better trying to oh well at least you and the one thing I can say to anyone is do not start any sentence to someone who's lost a baby with at least because it's just yeah. the most awful expression and you just go no there's no at least about it there's no at least you don't have to have sleepless nights at least you don't have to oh at least you know you can get pregnant at least you know and you just think no no <laughs> so yeah that is my one piece of advice to anybody is just don't use that expression and I think sometimes the best thing to say is just I don't know what to say mm, you know it's to be honest that, yeah you just I think the hardest thing is people ignoring you because they don't know what to say I think one of my friends she just uh the whole thing was just that's shit and I just went yeah it is that was all we needed to say because you can't make it better so trying to is kind of fruitless and just frustrating so frustrating mm. and I mean to say that it's a life-altering event it, I just it would just be completely life-changing and obviously yeah. it has been for you with kicks count and everything you've done since I mean I'm, I bet you can't even imagine a life without kicks count now <laughs> no I can't and, and I'm I'm really yeah. grateful actually that it is a life-changing event and uh, uh, yeah I think that's a, a, probably an understatement and yeah. I'm really grateful that I've been able to make it a positive life-changing event because the the natural way for it to go is the other way is for it to be completely terrible life-changing event and obviously at the time it was but I think what I've got out of it and the, the work that kicks count have done I think for me makes it feel like a positive life change. Toby has saved 
the lives of so many babies. Yeah, and I think that that makes such a difference to me as well. And I often hear if it can save one baby, it's worth it. And I've never really signed up to that narrative because I kind of think, well, no, one baby, one for one, I, I would rather have had my baby. But when you know it's saving hundreds of babies, you uh, not that you would wish for that to have happened, but you kind of feel like it's a worthwhile legacy for him to have left rather than, you know, if he could only save one baby, why couldn't it have been him? But yeah. I think the fact that it has been so widespread and it has saved so many means so much to me and is so satisfying and worthwhile. Yeah. I'm actually getting quite emotional now, so I'm just going to take a minute. I'm going to have to edit. <laughs> edit this bit out. I'm just so grateful. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> sorry, Freddie. You set me off. <laughs> I don't want to set you off. So, you've created this incredible legacy for Toby and as I've just said, saved all these other babies' lives. But it all, it must have been brewing for a while. And you said that it came after the birth of Josh and you're on maternity leave and then thought, I need to be doing something else just to carry on this mission. And it sounds like it was almost a bit of a calling for you that Mm. it was unfinished business really to keep going. So, I mean, firstly, pregnancy after loss, I think is something that is so not talked about and I mean I think it's beginning to be a bit more talked about Mm. on the miscarriage side but on the stillbirth side and actually having to go through labor and delivery to not then take your baby Mm. home at the end of it how was that pregnancy for you and how did you psychologically get through that because I had my own anxiety with my second pregnancy and I didn't even go through what you went through so how did you cope oh I I hated it I, it was, nothing was safe. We were never at a safe point. I couldn't enjoy any of it. Absolutely none of it. I couldn't enjoy it when, um, you know, going shopping and buying stuff. I was, if I was looking at a baby outfit, I was looking, okay, if he's still born, is this the outfit he's going to be buried in? And I wouldn't buy a car seat because I thought, well, what if we don't need a car seat? What if he dies at the hospital and I don't take him home? You, You know, there's no point in buying a push chair I was so disorganized I wouldn't buy anything because I was just thinking well you know having to take it back to the shop that's going to be a faff if I have to you know return the car seat and it was just all these thoughts that just were ridiculous and well they weren't ridiculous they feel if you're saying to somebody like oh have you bought the car seat well no because the baby might die it's like uh what that is such a kind of weird attitude to have but those thoughts are so intrusive they are like, and they you, you, it took yeah. over the whole pregnancy I think so every niggle every little bit of it was stressful and then people would say oh you must be so happy now that you're having another baby and you just go yeah well he's not here yet so it's just you just waiting for something to go wrong all the time and yeah when he was born thankfully for, for him or for me he was such an easy labor. His due date was Toby's birthday. And I oh, really? went to the, the consultant. I said, look, I can't give birth on that day. That's Toby's day. He can't share it with 
anyone else. And Emily had shoulder dystocia when she was born. So she was in emergency birth. And so they did say it would actually be worthwhile to induce you two weeks early Mm -hmm. to avoid the shoulder dystocia element. Yeah. So the baby Um, wasn't so big. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was due to be induced two weeks early. And then he arrived naturally three weeks early. And oh my goodness. So what, 37 weeks? 37 weeks. Yeah. And he was a fairly straightforward labor, straightforward delivery. He cried as soon as he was born. He was put straight on my chest, you know, compared to the previous two, it was so easy. And I think I needed that more than anything. I think any kind of interruption or anything that went slightly wrong in the birth would have just been even more traumatic. But thankfully, he was, he performed. (laughs) He understood the assignment, as they say. Oh, bless him. And did the hospital give you a lot of support with that third pregnancy? Yes, they did. And a lot of the things that we do with Kicks Count are based on, obviously, experiences that we've had. And you're probably there more than you would usually be because everything Mm -hmm. is worrying you and you just want that reassurance. And having to explain every time that I lost my last baby, this is what happened. It was so hard to do it every time. And then if you go to a reception desk and they'll say, oh, is this your first? And you say, no. And then you go, do I say it's my second? Do I say it's my third? You know, do I, and you don't know what to say. No, it's not my first. Oh, how many others have you got? And it's all very nice conversation and it's all well intended and nicely meant but it's yeah they don't know yeah it's one of those things that is awful conversation to have because you go well I don't know whether to say this is my third baby and then you have to say that my last one died or whether to say this is my second and just pretend Toby never existed so it's a really hard thing. So we did actually end up bringing out the um, I've had a previous stillbirth or I've had a previous neonatal death stickers that could just go on the notes. And it's blatantly obvious if you don't want to have that conversation that they can pick it up and go, oh, OK, she's had a previous stillbirth. I won't ask her what number baby this is or anything like that. But they were always understanding once they knew about that. And the care in all my pregnancies has always been exceptional. You know, I haven't had a complaint about any of the care I received. The midwives were always happy to see me whether it was because I'd lost a baby or not it was yeah they were really understanding and really kind so I was grateful Mm -hmm. for that and did the hospital ever get to the bottom of what happened with Toby yes so Toby couldn't have been saved my placenta had a trisomy so it was a mosaic trisomy so although Toby was fine the placenta wasn't and so it just basically started starving him so right. he basically died of, I think it was called anti-mortem anemia. Okay. So yeah. he was, I mean, when he was born, he was porcelain white, like mm. just no color at all. So he couldn't have been saved. But when I then met up with my friend who'd had the stillbirth a few years before, her baby 100% would be here with more knowledge on baby's movements. And Mm. her story, having experienced the loss myself, her story just frustrated me. And the woman who actually founded Count the Kicks, her story is the same, that her baby would be here. And I think it became my passion that there are some babies like Toby that sadly can't be saved, but the ones that can be saved, we sure as hell should be doing everything we can 
and making sure because you know it's bad enough going through that experience when it's inevitable when there's something that can't be changed but so few stillbirths are caused by something like that so we need to do more we need to be stopping people unnecessarily going through this much pain and this much heartbreak so mm. you know it was just a like I said, a no-brainer I just had to do it and kind of that passion was there for my own grief but also knowing things could be done just that sense of injustice that you just think yeah why isn't this information out there? Why don't people know this? Why is there this misinformation? And I couldn't agree more. There's just Elizabeth's page and the Kicks Count charity have so much great information on this. So was there a particular turning point where you thought, okay, I'm actually going to go for this and make this happen? So it had been set up by somebody else. But what I was doing is while I was on maternity leave, I was trying to find things that I could do that may help prevent stillbirth or support people who'd had stillbirths. So I was looking at becoming a counsellor or becoming a sonographer so that I could try and identify babies that were at risk. I looked at becoming a midwife. I looked at all these things that I could retrain as. And I thought, well, actually, I don't really want to support people who've been through it. I want to prevent it happening in the first place. So I was then Mm. looking at things that I could do. And I found this local charity called Count the Kicks. And I just thought that is exactly what needs to happen. We need more awareness of babies' movements. That's the thing that's going to change it. That's what we need to do. So I got in touch and it was just being run by one other woman. And it was local to me as well, which was really fortuitous that I just went, oh, this is like, it's meant to be. It's just meant to be. Yeah, around the corner. It's exactly what I feel so passionately about after hearing about my friend's stillbirth and the movement situation. So I started just volunteering for them, doing uh, shop orders, sending out wristbands, things like that. And then the founder didn't want to do it anymore. And I felt so passionately that this was the thing that was going to change it. So I said, well, just sign it over to me. And I've I've been running it ever since. But it was hard to do because it was such a small charity. So rather than going back to work and working for the police, I set up as a childminder at home so that Mm -hmm. I could work full time as a childminder, spend time with my children. And then in the evenings and weekends, I could do the charity and kind of build that up. And it did. It probably took two years of seven day weeks, 16 hour days. But eventually we managed to build it to a more sustainable stage that I could then focus on this full time. And it still is such a small charity. There's me and one other at the moment, but we've got such big ambitions and it's definitely working. It's definitely getting there in terms of getting the message out and spreading the word. But it was yeah it was a difficult couple of years to get to this stage where it's a working charity i'd say it's a movement it's amazing and the people who do know about it i mean i've seen holly willoughby mm-hmm. you know who've been supporting it and claire gleave who's actually another one of my yep. guests on this season i was really touched i didn't know that you guys were connected mm. and i bought a pair of leggings from claire <laughs> before i had her on the show and um, when i was really pregnant and looked at the label and was like oh that's really special. Yeah, that's you know, one of the because I've wanted to do that for years and years is just get in yeah. some sort of maternity clothes because you know those people are pregnant. So when she contacted yeah. us about them, 
I was like, yes, such a good idea. <laughs> yes, oh, she contacted please. you. That's yes. even better. Yeah. You, um, she said, I'd like to do this. I, yes, that is exactly what I want. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's really kind of her. Yeah. Not surprising. She's lovely. Yes, she is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just getting that exposure. But I sort of thought that it had, when I'd seen it, because your stuff had been so large and all over the antenatal room, I thought it was an NHS thing. So I was really surprised to hear that it wasn't. But were the wristbands something that you guys came up with? Well, we didn't come up with them. There was a, it was a mum who devised them to help her keep track of her baby's movements. They really work. Yeah, the wristbands are an interesting thing because people want us to be able to give them out for free. But unfortunately, the amount they cost to make not, and yeah. ship and things <laughs> yeah. like that, and you kind of go, well, if the government want to give us a million pounds for us to give out 700,000, then... <laughs> But yeah, unfortunately, we don't get any government funding. You know, the government have this target to reduce stillbirths by 50% by 2025. And you kind of go, well, we're we're helping you. We're doing the work. We want to help reduce that figure as well. So it's kind of like everyone has to work together. You can't say we're not going to provide that for the NHS, everybody has to work together on this. It's not a, a competition. We all want to reduce the stillbirth rate. Well, we just need to get someone in power that has a little bit more <laughs> mm. common sense about these things. And please just give Elizabeth a million pounds. Yeah. That would be really <laughs> nice. <laughs> if anyone's listening, come on, guys. Love, love uh, yeah, well, I was really pleased because a friend of mine actually bought one for her sister as a pregnancy present. And I thought that's a really great gift. Mm. And when I've talked to other people about it you must have felt the same after Toby which is it's quite difficult not to impress your own experience onto other people when they're in the sort of baby joy they're like I I can't express this very well but like the naive baby joy I don't mean naive because obviously it's lovely that people are happy and that they're planning and but in my head I don't know if you had this I'm sure that you did but I was a bit like oh that's a bit early that's a bit early to be making well, plans. I am, um, you know. I, funnily enough, just after, like in that period after I'd lost Toby, it was really frustrating for me to see pregnant women. And it was awful, but it, I would just go, well, you're just walking around like you're going to have a baby and you don't know that you might not have a baby. And it was an awful mm. mindset to have. And you didn't want to burst their naive bubble, but sometimes you did just want to say but it might might not what if it doesn't what if it doesn't and over time I've now adjusted that I think then my mindset was or well, every baby is going to die there is no way that anyone's going to have a healthy delivery and I think now 10 years down the line knowing that most pregnancies do end with a happy healthy baby the majority of babies are born happy or healthy mm-hmm. and alive so I think my mindset in that has changed and I don't find it frustrating now that people are in that naive bubble. I want them to be aware of how important the movement side is and the fact that it it can happen. I want it to be on people's radars, but I don't want it to be that everybody is constantly worried about their baby being stillborn because that's just not healthy for anybody really. But I think when I was in that immediate post-loss bubble, that was all I could think of. And you do want to make people aware that this does happen and it is a Mm. possibility without letting it take over and be Mm. all consuming. 
you know, because I found when I was going through my pregnancies, I was told so much about cot death. I was told so much to put the baby to sleep on its back. And when I was buying things for the baby, I knew it had to have an empty cot. I knew all these things to help prevent cot death, but nobody had ever mentioned stillbirth to me. And yeah. that was 10 times more likely to happen than a cot death. So is that right? Is that yes, a statistic? So, so stillbirths are 10 times more common. Yeah. I mean, still Gosh, not I common. Still, I mean, we, I have to emphasize, you know, that it's fortunately it is rare, but it's one of those things that just doesn't get the same. It's almost too taboo, I think, because I think you can kind of remove mm. yourself. You can learn about the risk factors of sudden infant death but you're one step removed from that because you haven't had your baby yet so I don't know if that makes it more palatable mm. to be able to think of how you're going to prevent it whereas stillbirth is the more immediate threat but we just don't talk about it so I think breaking that taboo is one of the big things just so you can identify the risk factors or you can identify if there is a problem but also be aware that it can be prevented absolutely so that takes some of the fear out of it I think and puts you more in control rather than scared. You're so right. It is such a taboo. I mean, even knowing that we were going to have this conversation today, it was just like, it's almost such an awful topic mm. that I don't even know how to ask about it. Yeah. Like, how can I possibly ask this woman who has been through the most catastrophic? I, I, I cannot even, I can't imagine because I, I can't. Particularly if you have the type of personality where you think, oh, you don't want to worry somebody yeah. or don't be morbid or, you know, she's just enjoying her baby, but don't let your experience ruin hers mm. or whatever. And it's like, well, you're not trying to ruin it by talking about something horrible, but it is horrible. But as you say, it can be prevented. Yeah. So it's just so important. And I think that Kicks Count does it really well by saying feeling your baby move is a sign that they are well. It's about just saying, you know your baby best, you know your body best. And being in tune with what's happening in your tummy is important, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. And, that, you know, I think that's true. Of, it spreads across so many different areas as well that trust your instincts, basically, is yeah. it, what it boils down to is Trust yourself, yeah. trust your instincts. But we do need to have more conversations where we can talk about it and we can learn that it's okay to ask people about it as well. And mm. often people who've lost a baby want to talk about that baby because that's the only memory they have. You know, you don't mm. get the yearly birthday parties. You don't get the general play dates, the chit chat. You, you've only got this short time, this short memory and you do want to talk about it. You do want to talk about them. You want them to be part of your life and you want them to be part of other people's consciousness. You know, you want them to be remembered and they, they matter just as much. So I, I think maybe removing that fear of asking people is also a good thing. Absolutely. And do you do something special on Toby's birthday every yes, year? Yes. Yeah, we do something every year and every Christmas. And it, I was thinking about it at Christmas, actually, because I took some flowers to his grave and I take a photo by then. So I think, why is it so important to me to get this photo every year? And I think because it's the only photo I get, it's the only changing photo that I have. I've got the pictures of him. I've got my scan pictures, but that's it. And they never change, you know, and you take a photo of your baby every year on their birthday or whatever, and you can see them changing. And so for me, the picture of the grave is kind of my moving picture, my 
picture that can be updated every year. I can get a new picture. And if we go on holiday or something, I'll write his name in yeah. the sand and take a photo of that. Or you know, when skiing, mm. I'll write his name in the snow and take a photo of that. Anywhere I can. And it's just a way of keeping it fresh and alive, I think. So it, it feels like he's still here. He's still with us. It's wonderful that like, obviously that changes as the charity is getting bigger and it's, it, it's growing all the time. I can always see your like follow account just creeping up mm-hmm. and it just brings me so much joy to see that. But where do you see the future of Kickstart going? You say you've got really big ambitions. So Magic One Territory, where would you like the charity to be in 10 years? I would like it to be in every hospital. I would like it to just be so ingrained in people's mind that almost the charity doesn't need to exist, that everyone just knows automatically you go as soon as someone says oh you're pregnant oh right okay if anyone ever says oh my baby's not moving as much right then you need to go and get checked and it just to be second nature for everybody it would be mm. my absolute dream but whatever happens there will always be more that can be done you know mm. so mm. it's kind of a never going to stop and do you find that reassuring or not reassuring i find it reassuring that the stillbirth rate has been coming down year on year it's the lowest it's ever been so it's that's amazing it's definitely going in the right direction i don't think we'll ever get the stillbirth rate to zero but you know we'll well i'll certainly keep going as long as yeah Yeah. keep going as long as i'm as long as i'm here it's such a noble cause and i just think that lots of people listening will just think that you're amazing and this charity is just absolutely fantastic the work that you guys do but i mean There's one question that I want to leave all the listeners with. We're running out of time, which is such a pain because I could just talk to Elizabeth forever. (laughs) But anybody who's listening who has experienced a stillbirth or somebody who's listening who knows somebody who has, what is the best advice you can think of that you might give them? I think for the people who've had a stillbirth, it's so important to know you're not alone and to find other people to talk to, share your experiences, you know, your baby mattered, your baby is important. I think there's a lot about people feel they shouldn't share things about their baby for fear of scaring other mums. And I think they should. I think if you want to share your baby, you share your baby and find some way of remembering your baby, which is what I do in obviously with kicks count but also with the photos that I take but also that feeling that dread doesn't last forever you know it's a grief it's like all grief it never goes away you never get over it but you do learn to live with it and you do learn to manage it which I think is really important which is what I thought when I first lost Toby I didn't think that would ever happen I thought this is my life now my life is just this dark cloud forever and you know coming out of that was really hard but it it did happen and I think if you're supporting someone who's lost a baby the important thing is to take their lead if they want to talk about it let them talk about it if they don't want to talk about it then respect that and certainly don't say at least something rather that's the big don't do that but just follow their lead and there's no right or wrong way to support somebody because everybody's different everybody will want something different a different experience and I loved personally people asking me about Toby I loved telling his birth story so it was actually the night of a general election and we were up watching the results come in and 
like playing this Eurovision game with all the, the different <laughs> candidates. And it, it was really bizarre, but it was one of those little things that you don't get many fun stories in a stillbirth, you know, and it's no. so to be able to tell those little snippets of interest were really nice for me but for some people they don't want to relive the experience over and over again so it's very much listen to the person and respect whatever it is that they want that's really good advice and i don't know if there's any particular resources you want to share in terms of stillbirth resources we do have a book called life after stillbirth which it was written by a lovely woman called sarah nelson and we publish it it's available on our website and it's really useful because it's just a lot of different people's experiences how they handled the funeral how they handled dealing with other people siblings all things like that we've also got children's books as well so we've written a children's book about that called I will always remember our baby and then I wrote one Mm -hmm. for Josh as well because Josh actually struggled more with the loss of Toby than Emily did because he felt that he was replacing Toby, but that he wasn't good enough to replace Toby or Toby would have been better. So trying to explain to Josh that he's just as special and trying to explain that to him was really hard. So I have actually written a book called I Am Your Rainbow. And that's kind of aimed Mm. at the rainbow baby to explain that there was this uh, baby before, but that doesn't mean that they weren't wanted or that, you know, they are a replacement I always say, you know, it's an impossible concept for us as adults to grasp that a baby could die. So for a child, it must just be even more unfathomable. So I'm hoping the books do help. I'm absolutely positive that they will. Like, please, anybody who's listening, please go and check them out. But also, most importantly, check out Kicks Count as a charity. If you're pregnant or if you know somebody who's pregnant, do them a favour. Buy yourself a wristband or buy somebody else a wristband. They really do save little lives. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart thank you so much um for joining and sharing such a difficult story which you probably told a thousand times it's such an important message i will happily tell it forever so i will continue to tell it well thank you so so much to the end have a lovely day and if you are a parent have an even better night bye everybody 